1: It's the wonderful Gaudetta Brass Quintet in a musical representation of Chicago's Grant Park, part of the Burnham Plan. Daniel Burnham said that Grant Park should be forever open, clear, and free. Kind of imagine the, the Buckingham Fountain, the water bubbling, people smiling and walking around. Such upbeat, wonderful music by David Sampson. It's from a piece called Chicago Moves, the first movement, Grant Park. Those are all sonic representations of the city of Chicago. Welcome to Relevant Tones, I'm Seth Bostead. On today's program, I'm going to be talking about composers inspired by landscape. Composers who really try to make a sonic representation of the environment around them, or composers that you just can't imagine living anywhere else. The actual physical environment creeps into their music whether they want it to or not. Think Ralph Vaughan Williams outside of England, think Aaron Copeland outside of America, you, you almost can't because their music and their identity is so rooted in the place. We're going to go from the Chicago lakefront all the way over to Japan. Composer Toshio Hosokawa has written a series of pieces called Landscape. There's Landscape 1 through 5 so far. And although he does not specify what the landscape is, it's hard to imagine that they're not deeply influenced by his native Japan. And the piece that I'm going to play, Landscape 5, also features a Japanese traditional instrument, the sho, which is kind of like a mouth organ. Let's have a listen. This is Landscape 5 for show and orchestra. We're going to hear the Munich Chamber Orchestra, Alexander Liebreit conducting, and Mayumi Miyata is playing the show. music of Japanese composer Toshio Hosokawa, we heard an excerpt of Landscape 5, Mayumi Miyata on the show, which is like a Japanese mouth organ, and that was the Munich Chamber Orchestra with Alexander Liebreich conducting. What an interesting idea this is, a composer trying to take a physical place, a landscape, and make a musical representation of it. In the Hosokawa piece that we just heard part of, I think of those long, sustained sounds as representing distance, or maybe uh, you're actually far away from the landscape, and then the more fast-moving gestures that we heard at the end where the string players are actually instructed to hit the strings with the wood of their bow. It's called kolenyo. They turn the bow a little bit to the side, and they hit the strings and make those percussive sounds. To me, that's like we're zooming in on the landscape now and seeing some of the actual features, a tree or a mountain. But, of course, it's completely open to interpretation, especially in the case of Hasakawa, the Landscape 5 or any of the landscape pieces where he has not specified the place. It could be a place of his mind. Let's turn now to a composer who has been inspired by the Australian outback. As you can imagine that would uh, that would be a very inspiring landscape indeed. This is Peter Sculthorpe. We're going to hear a piece called From Oceania. Oceania of course is the name given to the continent of Australia and the surrounding islands. So we've kind of zoomed out from the outback and we're we're talking about the whole region now. This is the New Zealand Symphony with James Judd conducting. Composed in what's called his sun music style, in which the entire orchestra is a percussion instrument. That's music by Peter Sculthorpe. we heard from Oceania, the New Zealand Symphony with James Judd conducting. I love that idea of the orchestra as a giant percussion instrument. And Oceania itself, this continent, and even the islands around it, there's a real majesty to that music, especially about halfway through when the orchestra, or, well, I guess the percussion instrument, when it really, really gets going like that, I almost feel like I'm listening to the island being born, coming up out of the sea. Fantastic music by Peter Sculthorpe evoking the Australian continent. When American composer Michael Doherty was commissioned by the Pacific Symphony to write an orchestra piece, he got very interested in Mount Rushmore. This is not a a surprise, really. He's always been interested in Americana, and what's more American than Mount Rushmore in in many, many ways? Here, I think, is a very interesting concept because you have, obviously, the landscape features and the features of the mountain itself, but there's no way to be inspired by Mount Rushmore and not be inspired also by the personalities behind it. So in this piece, we're going to have a mix of both. We're going to listen to the first movement, which is called George Washington. And I just want to read a little bit from the liner notes because it's very interesting what Doherty's process was. He says, for the first movement, I have divided the choir into two sections to reflect two phases in the life of George Washington. First as commander in chief during the Revolutionary War and later as the first president of the United States. Choir One performs fragments of Chester, the popular Revolutionary War anthem by William Billings, in the bright straight tones of shape note singing common to the period. Following orchestral echoes of Yankee Doodle, Choir 2 sings a fragment from Washington's letter, written upon retirement from public life, in which he says, I will move gently down the stream of life until I sleep with my fathers. Let's have a listen. This is Movement 1 of Mount Rushmore, George Washington. We're going to hear the Pacific Symphony with the Pacific Chorale, Carl St. Clair conducting music of Michael Doherty. Music inspired by Mount Rushmore, which maybe is a bit of a departure of my theme of music inspired by landscapes, but you know it's an alteration of a landscape. And uh, wow, what an alteration of a landscape it is! You know, there's the indomitable will of the sculptor who, who carried this project through, and then of course the four individuals who are represented, former presidents of the United States, are also these indomitable personalities. And so of course the lives of those individuals get mixed up in the music. We heard a sonic representation of the sculpture of George Washington and even a little bit of a letter that he wrote to Lafayette. I think it's a fantastic piece. We heard the Pacific Symphony, Pacific Chorale with Carl St. Clair conducting Music of Michael Doherty. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. My theme today is composers inspired by landscapes or sonic representations of landscapes or physical places. You can find out more information about the show on Facebook or on our website at relevanttones.com. I'm talking today about composers who are inspired by landscapes, turning physical landscapes into sonic pieces, or composers who just are very influenced by the uh, physical whereabouts of where they live. I'm going to feature a piece now by Joan Tower called Big Sky. Here's what she says about it. Big Sky is a piece based on a memory of riding my horse, Aymara, around in the deep valley of La Paz, Bolivia. The valley was surrounded by the huge and high mountains of the Andes Range, and as I rode, I looked into a vast and enormous sky— it was very peaceful and extraordinarily beautiful. We never went over one of these mountains, but if we had, it might have felt like what I wrote in this piece. Let's listen. This is Joan Tower herself on piano, Chi Yun violin, and Andre Emilianov cello. Big Sky. Thank you. Beautiful music meant to evoke an enormous sky. It's Big Sky by Joan Tower, inspired by a deep valley in La Paz, Bolivia. We heard the composer herself on the piano with Chi Yun violin and Andrei Emilianov cello. Let's turn now to composer John Luther Adams, a recent winner of the Pulitzer Prize and a composer who's really well known for turning the Arctic landscape into music. In fact, he's uh, really done a great job of it, and and, uh, it's his signature sound. There's this incredible sense of space and distance and um, lack of color, in a way, in his music that that, uh, conjures up the Arctic, and especially Alaska, where he's been a resident for a long time now. The piece I want to play is called The Far Country of Sleep, and it has a subtitle, In Memoriam Morton Feldman. And Morton Feldman was kind of the ultimate minimalist. His music really, really unfolds slowly. He has a string quartet that lasts something like eight hours. You know, this is uh, that, that kind of idea. So obviously we're going to play an excerpt of this piece, but it's called The Far Country of Sleep, and uh, pays homage to the imaginary landscapes of Feldman's music, but it also is going to be evoking, like I said, the Arctic. This is the Cabrillo Music Festival Orchestra, Joanne Folletta conducting. What evocative music there. That's a little bit of The Far Country of Sleep by John Luther Adams. He's written that it's an in memoriam to Morton Feldman, another composer very fond of these long, very slowly unfolding musical gestures. But it's also inspired by Alaska, the landscape in Alaska, as so many of his pieces are. And as I said before we heard it, I think he just does a fantastic job of conjuring up space and distance. You can also tell it's an American composer, though. I think there's uh, something Copland-esque about the sound. Certainly the trumpet is reminiscent of Copeland. Copeland's piece, Fanfare for the Common Man, if you know that one, and the spacing of the chords is is very Copeland-esque as well, so definitely music of an American composer. What a great performance. We heard the Cabrillo Music Festival Orchestra with Joanne Folletta conducting. As I was putting this show together of composers inspired by landscape, I got a very interesting disc in the mail that's called The Drop That Contained the Sea, a lot of pieces inspired by water, and I thought, well, that could be very interesting, too. We'll have a seascape now in addition to our landscapes. I think it really fits the theme, and this composer, Christopher Tin, did a wonderful job. In addition to having this theme of water, though, each of the pieces is in a different language and from a different vocal singing tradition, so uh, there's a lot of fantastic music on this disc, but the piece I want to play is called Huff, Gengar, them, or the storm-driven sea. We're going to hear Scola Cantorum with the Angel City Chorale and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. The poem's really short, so I'd like to read it. I'm going to go ahead and just read it in English, if that's okay, my Norse not being as good as it could be. The sea, storm-driven, seeks heaven itself. O'er the earth it flows, the air grows sterile, then follows the snows and the furious winds. For the gods are doomed, and the end is death. What an epic-sounding piece. It could be right out of a, an action movie. Or I was thinking of Darren Aronofsky's Noah, you know, the scene where, where the rains are first coming and the big storm happens, and he's he's fighting against the water. And uh, as I look at the poem, I see that it's from, actually, one of the great epic poetry cycles in the world, the Edda, which is a great old Norse poetry cycle. So the composer is right on the money there with that sound. Wonderful music, the storm-driven sea by Christopher Tin, and what a fantastic performance! Probably didn't hurt that the composer himself, Christopher Tin, was conducting. But the Skola Cantorum, the Angel City Chorale, and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra—they sound fantastic. Great, great performance of wonderful music. We're talking about music of landscapes today, but there we had a seascape and an angry seascape, at that. Well, let's go from an angry Norse stormy sea all the way to the north of the united states north dakota during a very, very bleak and harsh winter. Composer Pierre Jalbert spent time in in what he described as one of the worst winters of his life in North Dakota one year when temperatures were hovering around negative 50 degrees, which, as you can imagine, is is pretty awful. And he wrote this incredible piece called Icefield Sonnets for String Quartet. It's in four movements, and each one, I think, is just starkly beautiful, conjures up that that sense of cold and and bleakness. We're going to listen to the second movement called Glass is a Place. And I I like that title a lot, I like the music, I like this idea of glass representing this bleak, barren landscape. This is the Ying Quartet performing music of Pierre Jalbert. Music inspired by an especially... Fierce and Bleak Winter in North Dakota. That was Icefield Sonnets. We heard the second movement, Glass is a Place by Pierre Jalbert. Great performance by the Ying Quartet. I've played part of that piece before on the show. I just really, really love it. At some point, I probably will have played all four movements. So watch out for other movements of the Icefield Sonnets by Pierre Jalbert. I think it's an especially convincing piece. And again, a fantastic performance by the Ying Quartet. We've had a lot of different landscapes here from La Paz, Bolivia to uh, a storm-driven sea to the George Washington sculpture in Mount Rushmore, the Australian outback, an unspecified landscape of Toshio Hosokawa, Uh, The very muscular-sounding Chicago Moves, Grant Park from David Sampson, a lot of things in between. I think it's incredible the way that these landscapes, these places, their their physical environments have inspired these composers. And uh, to my ear, at least, these landscapes and, and physical environments have been represented by very convincing music. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McCorders, with special thanks to Claire Fosnacht. For more information about the program and the artists we've featured, you can find us on Facebook, and you can hear this and all previous programs at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is brought to you in part by the generous support of Grosvenor Capital Management LP, the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, an anonymous donor, and the listener supporters of the WFMT Fine Arts Circle. I'm Seth Bosted and this is the WFMT Radio Network.